Now, we all know that Martin can metabolise a pint in five minutes, but I bet even he wouldn't turn his nose up at getting free beer delivered to his door. Yes, our friends at Beer 52 are offering our listeners a free case of eight unique craft beers. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash WTAF and cover the postage of $5.95. Beer 52 is the world's largest beer club. Even Big Mandy is welcome, but not Colin. He's an utter bozo. Each month, members are sent a crate of beer with different themes. Don't like dark beer? Then choose the light option. Comes with a magazine and two snacks, BLT and crumpets not included. Don't be a cockwomble. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash WTAF to get this amazing offer. That's www.beer52.com forward slash WTAF. The following podcast contains strong language, like what the actual fuck. Hello there, this is the Reverend Francis Seaton, and you're listening to What the Actual Fuck. <laughs> Scarecrow Festival is like the most important day of the year. <laughs> Daft cow. This is just ridiculous. What the actual Hey, what the actual fuckers, and welcome to WTAF of this country podcast. Now, first, he's the man that was supposed to be cooking me a nice steak in mushroom and peppercorn sauce, but he's just read some letter and has chucked everything in the bin. It's Neil. Well, I say chucked it in the bin, I ate it myself. Waste oh. not want one of these weird things. <laughs> and I'll have to find out afterwards what was in that letter that made you uh, throw my tea in the bin. Well, I don't know whether you really want to. Okay, really yeah, we'll, we'll leave that for another time. Yeah. Okay, our super fan, super fan guest this episode is someone that has been in some of our most loved shows ever, cropping up in various guises on On the Hour, The Day to Day, Knowing Me, Knowing You with Alan Partridge, or as regional brewery manager Vicky Jackson in Al Murray's pub landlord uh, time, gentlemen, please. As long-suffering Kathy in Nighty Night, as Nicola Murray on The Thick of It, and just seen on Armando Iannucci's latest comedy, Avenue 5, alongside our very own Daisy Cooper, please say hello and welcome to Rebecca Front. Hello! <laughs> <laughs> oh. I have to say, for, you know, I don't know if anybody else has this. I have sort of comfort TV series that you just put on and you can just watch and it's in the background and you're doing stuff. Time Gentlemen, Please was that thing for me. Oh, that's so lovely. It was like, Have I you was... told Richard No, I haven't. <laughs> it was, oh, he'd be delighted. It was, um, I used to work shifts um, uh, for a car plant and I'd come home at like midnight, at half 12, make myself something to eat, stick that on the DVD. And even now, because a lot of them are on YouTube, a lot of the episodes are on YouTube now. It's one of those right. series. I don't know whether loads of people saw it, but it was at the, what, it was 20 years ago nearly. It was, yeah, it probably would have been, actually. Yes, I, well, I can tell you, in fact, because I was pregnant with my daughter, who is just 19, uh, when I when we did the second series, and there's a whole storyline about Vicky Jackson being pregnant, and she's, uh, uh, she yes, there's a, there's a whole sort of reveal about who the father is and everything. Um, so, yeah, it was 19, 19 and a half years ago. And I don't think that many people saw it, but it is one of those shows where the people who did see it it really stayed with them and they really loved it. Mm. And I have this, it was, quite, it was probably one of the few times in my career when I've actually had a catchphrase, which was, as you rightly said when you introduced me, that, hello! <laughs> um, so every time, Vicky was always trying to make everybody love her. And every time she'd appear in the pub and actually everybody hated her there and she'd, she'd do this kind of brace herself to do this, hello! <laughs> and then they'd all just kind of cut her dead. It was slightly heartbreaking. Um, but I remember around that time taking my my mother-in-law to a hospital appointment she was quite frail at the time and and hadn't needless to say hadn't seen that show didn't know anything about it and so that was we were sitting in the waiting room she was very nervous about this appointment and this this big sort of ward orderly guy or hospital porter was wheeling a trolley and he suddenly came hurtling towards us shouting hello <laughs> 
really terrified. She just sort of went, what? Like, he was coming for her, you know? What, why is he saying it? Why? And I said, no, 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 it's me saying it to me. So it took a bit of explaining. But anyway, that was my catchphrase. And I feel like, yeah, I've never really had one since. Because that, that was like an old-fashioned, if you want, kind of sitcom, wasn't it? In front of a studio audience, yeah, sort of one or two yeah, sets. Exactly. You know, it, it was brilliantly old-fashioned in lots of ways and also very subversive because mm-hmm. um, uh, R- Richard Herring and Al Murray, it was Al Murray was the pub landlord in it. Um, and Richard and Al just have this wonderfully subversive but also quite mainstream humour. It was very, very clever, actually. I think it was, I think it deserved a bit more credit than it got because the scripts were really, really clever and funny. Mm. Rebecca, you've been in a lot of um, iconic comedy shows what were you most recognized for then um i get uh, mainly recognized for thick of it and uh and actually lewis which i a a cop show which i did for a number of years i did that for about seven years Mm. so i tend to get recognized in slightly odd ways because there there are sort of there are the lewis fans who are hardcore you know they like their detective shows and they like their poirots and markles and um and so quite often I get people coming up and being slightly deferential because I played a rather bossy uh, superintendent in that. And then I get people who are into their politics and who love um, Nicola Murray and love Thick of It. And so it ten- tends to be those things. But actually, Nighty Night is the other one. Um, and the Nighty Night fans are um, are really devoted. They love that show. I mean, Nighty Night is always one of those shows that just absolutely, people just loved it. Um, and and that's really sweet actually because because it, it will be the, if somebody I mean I don't let me just emphasise here I do not get recognised on a daily basis particularly at the moment because I'm just in my own home so nobody knows who I am <laughs> um, but you know so this is not like a regular thing you know let's let's not get carried away but if I do get recognised if somebody spots me and literally runs across rows of traffic to come and get a photo it's an it's a nighty night fan because they are so devoted to that show it's really sweet and it's very it's kind of quite life affirming it shouldn't be you know i should rise above it and just kind of go oh it means nothing to me but it actually it is a really sweet thing it's very nice i watched a uh, re-watched a few episodes um not long ago and it just made me realize just how batshit crazy that that show is oh completely bonkers it got madder and madder and madder um and and it was one of the sort of great joys actually was going to the read throughs for for different blocks of episodes, and Julia would seem almost as surprised as anybody at how mad it was. She hadn't quite noticed when she was writing it, so we'd start reading through and we'd all be just going, oh, like, you know. And then Julia would sort of look like, oh, is that a bit? Is it too much? Is that you know? It really was like it. it some other voice had taken her over when she was writing it. Because mm. <laughs> I did. I, I watched on YouTube some of the bloopers, and I, I've said on this podcast before that I love watching bloopers of different things. But it always makes me. Um, it just makes me wonder how you shot anything. Oh, I, do you know I've not watched any of those? Um, but I assume it's mainly Julia laughing. Is it? And it's then yeah, it is. Well, there's, there's there's a couple with you in there as well, laughing as well. Oh, she. We used to laugh so much doing that. She's she's a bit, she's a terrible corpser, um, and she would absolutely set me off as well. I'm quite badly behaved, and I'm such a sort of rule obeying good girl when I'm at work. You know, I know my lines, and I turn up on time, and I'm very sort of head girl about it. And I think that the strain of keeping that going, that level of you know being on it, means that when I go, I can really spectacularly go. And a number of times that happened with Julia, where I just lost it and couldn't get it back again it was it was really bad <laughs> was um it must have been with mark gatis as well doing those facial tics yeah <laughs> i didn't have that many scenes with mark actually from my, from memory um which is probably a blessing because yeah that would have been very <laughs> very hard to get through and he's such a nice guy as well mark so you know he's he that was just a brilliant performance by him mm. do you tend to get a lot of corpse in on dramas as well as comedies yeah, sometimes it's worse with drama because you're trying so hard to be serious. It can be, it can be worse. Um, yeah, and I think it's, you know, it usually is, with me anyway, it usually is to do with the stress of, you know, you're trying to get something in before the end of the day or before the light fades or something. And it's, I'm usually at, at my worst when I know that I really shouldn't be doing it. And then you just get incredibly tense. And 
So I do remember, I remember doing a costume drama, a Julian Fellows um, costume drama a couple of years ago. And we had to shoot a scene at a ball and um, where we were all waltzing around. It was sort of classic Victorian costume drama, very beautiful, everybody in beautiful outfits. And the guy who was playing my husband and I had had a, we'd all been taken away for dance lessons the day before. So we'd had a dance lesson. And, and in this dance lesson, I'd been, if I say so myself, pretty good at the waltzing because I've done a bit of dancing and I've done musicals and things. So we'd had a, an hour and a half of waltz lessons and I pretty well nailed it and I was feeling very confident. What I hadn't accounted for was I was going to be in this massive, ridiculous dress. So when it came to actually doing it, everything went out of my head and I couldn't remember what I was doing. And I kept tripping over and then he kept turning on my dress and then we were sort of not, it became like dominoes. Everybody was frowned in and people were just kind of shunting into each other and falling over and going, there was a lot of, oh, uh, oh, sorry. Oh. <laughs> and that was one night after it was a very expensive scene and we had to shoot it by five o'clock or something. And it was by this time about four and I started to really lose it. And I, in fact, you can actually see it. One of the few times on screen, I think, where when I finally saw it going out, my character was supposed to be very humorless, sort of up, uptight woman. When you see it going out, you can just see I'm absolutely pissing myself laughing. I'm, <laughs> I'm blood red in the face and I'm sweating and I'm just howling <laughs> because there was no way of doing a retake. It was it just was what it was. So, yeah, it's, sometimes drama is worse because you're just trying so hard. You ever, has it ever happened to you on stage, Rebecca? Um, yes. I haven't done that much stage, actually, but I've done enough stage for me to, <laughs> to, <laughs> to have behaved quite badly. Uh, yeah, no, it did. I, did a, um, I did a musical uh, at the Donmar uh, in London years ago, and that transferred into the West End, and that was... Most of the time we were very, very good, but there were definite moments in that when we would set each other off. Because I think that happens a lot on stage when you do a long run. People start to get a bit kind of antsy and naughty and they, they you know, will. Um, so I remember there, like one scene in particular where I was on stage with Clive Rowe and Adrian Lester and they, there was a moment where they both turned their backs on the audience to address me. And that became a sort of regular thing where they try and court me. Every time they turned away from the audience, they could do whatever the hell they wanted. <laughs> <laughs> and I just had to try and respond. And I, yeah, I did used to, I used to go most nights towards the end of the run, I would start giggling. Oh, dear. <laughs> now, you, you were part of the um, Armando Iannucci troupe, if you like, with On the Hour and um, Alan Partridge. How did you get involved with that from the start? Um... It was a, a nice little bit of um, good fortune, really. I, uh, although I was um, at Oxford at the same time as Armando, we didn't. I didn't really know him. I mean, I, I think we'd overlap once on the bill of some comedy thing, um, but I didn't. I didn't know him at all. He wasn't a friend or somebody I'd worked with. Um, but I was doing my. I was in a double act with Sean Ed William, who's now one of the heads of comedy at Radio Four. And um, so Sean and I were in this double act and we were doing sketches written by my brother, Jeremy. We should talk about this later because my brother and I are, of course, a, a brother and sister comedy combo. Um, so since we're talking about Daisy and Charlie. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, so we were doing these things. My brother wrote the sketches and I wrote the songs and we lost our producer for the Radio 4 show because he got a job uh, working on telly. So he, he left the BBC. And we were looking for a new producer. And Sean Ed, my double act partner, said, oh, you know that bloke Armando from, the, from Oxford? He's just come on board as a producer here and he's doing some really good stuff. So we asked if we could have him. And he produced the second series of our double act show. And I thought he was wonderful. I really, you know, we got on really well. And towards the end of that, he said, do you, do you only do stuff with Sean Ed or do you, you know? And I said, no, because in fact, Sean Ed had, herself had just become a producer. So I said, no, 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 I'm actually looking now to, you know, I need to branch out and do more stuff on my own. And he said, oh, great, because I'm developing this show um, with with people like Steve Coogan and Patrick Marber's going to be in it and blah, blah, blah. Um, do you want to come and do it? So I, that's how I got involved in the in the troupe, you know, the Armando sort of rep company. And I went and, and did On the Hour. I was quite terrified about it because I don't, I had never improvised at that stage. I didn't know any, I didn't know the first thing about improv. And I knew that all the others had some kind of stand-up experience, except for me. So I said to Amanda, look, I'll do it, but I, I'm only going to do the scripted stuff because I don't want to waste your time by coming and just being a bit of an idiot and not knowing. 
how to improvise. And also, I don't think I'm particularly funny and I'll just I'll just do the, the characters that you give me. And Armando just ignored me. And thank God he did because <laughs> I'm improvising and, and doing you know similar stuff ever since. So he, he just really crowbarred me into it, just kind of went, right, come on, you're doing this. Mm. So when you did the uh, the Knowing Me, Knowing You uh, radio show, was that was that set up like the TV show or were you just stood around a microphone or was it done like an actual show? It was done like an actual show. And in fact, we even used to wear a sort of vestige of some kind of costume to help because sometimes we'd be playing a couple of characters in, in a show. Um, we would try to, you know, make it clear to the audience that we were a different person. Yeah. So which is quite quite unusual to do that in radio. Normally you just turn up wearing whatever you're wearing for the, you know, for the rehearsal. So we would we would try to wear like I mean I remember doing a character who was sort of supposed to be like Barbara Windsor, and I think I I managed to get a sort of brightly coloured blouse-ons thing, and you know so we would try and wear something that was a nod towards those characters. Um, and I remember lots of discussions at the time about whether it was problematic that the audience, because of course it works fine for the conceit that you have an audience there, but whether it was problematic that the audience would be laughing at the wrong things um because and of course you can't control what the audience is laughing at and so there was a lot of sort of double think around is that going to be weird for the audience because for that joke to work it's got to be completely you know alan has to see this as a serious problem mm. but if the audience is laughing then alan can't see it as a serious problem and how do we and then i think in the end we just thought you know what <laughs> if they're laughing <laughs> It's very much a champagne problem in comedy <laughs> Absolutely. They're laughing at something and the main character doesn't think it's funny. I don't think we need to be worried about that. So I think we, we stopped uh, stressing about it at that point. Right. When you, you said about learning, the, uh, well, getting put into improvisation in the deep end, is it something you can learn, though, improvisation? Well, I, I now think it is. Um, I d fortunately, I didn't know that. Much of my career has been predicated on... on um, a, basic lack of training and knowledge um and uh, so I've sort of quite a lot of the time I've ended up doing stuff that I'm not really very well trained for and then sometime afterwards I think oh <laughs> probably should have learned how to do that I mean singing is another thing I've done musicals and I've I only relatively recently had proper vocal training and even that not very much and suddenly there, there I was kind of in a musical and it was only when I was doing some of the rehearsals, I looked around and thought, all of these people have done Western <laughs> musicals. I don't know. I still don't know really whether I can do it or how I do it. I just kind of get into the character and I do it and I try not to think about it too much. And um, when we were doing Avenue 5 recently, um, one of my first rehearsals was, was with Zach Woods, who this was like literally the second day I'd met Zach, who is absolutely delightful and charming. And, um, but... Uh, I got called in to do an improv session with Andy Buckley and Zach Woods. And so we started improvising this long scene and it seemed to be going down quite well and I was enjoying it. And afterwards, Will Smith, one of Armando's key writers and producers, um, came up to me and said, you know, that must have been nerve wracking. And I said, well, no, it was fine. You know, why? why? And he said, well, you know, Zach is one of the premier improvisers in the states i mean he's that's like he's really famous for it <laughs> i just said no why would you tell me that <laughs> no i didn't know and now next time i improvise with him i'm going to be terrified but this time no it was just really you know so i think now i realize that yes in fact there are professional improvisers there are people who really know what they're doing and there are skills and there are games you can learn and there are techniques and it's like doing stand-up you know when you work the audience if I see my mate Al Murray working an audience it's an unbelievable skill to have and mm. there is no way that in a million years I could do what he does it's that whole thing of he knows if that person says this and he'll say that and if that goes there then he'll remember this one and he'll hook them up with that one he's like he's plate spinning in his head the whole time um and improv I think is a bit like that you can learn these techniques that will help you so if somebody says this you say that and if that happens then this happens I know nothing I know absolutely nothing so all I've got is I have to know my character which is basic you know uh, acting 101 mm. <laughs> know who your character is so as long as I know who my character is I'm I, I can I'll do it and, and also I think 
because I've never been a stand-up, I don't worry too much whether what I'm saying is funny when I'm improvising. So sometimes, hopefully sometimes it is, but I don't stress about that. I'm not really, I am just thinking, is that truthful? Is that what she would say? And as long as it is, I'm quite happy. I'll improvise all day. Yeah. Now we'll, yeah. we'll we'll chat a little bit about uh, this country coming up. I've got one more question about knowing me, knowing you, with Alan Partridge, and you're the perfect person to answer this question. The scene, right. the, the scene when you played the show jumper uh, in the studio. Yeah. Now, was that planned that the do- that the horse did an almighty shit in, on the stage, <laughs> or did you <laughs> then did you then rewrite the not. did you rewrite the scene around that or? No, it was not planned. And uh, Patrick's response, which was no manners, but what a critic, exactly. if I remember right, <laughs> um, was absolutely, he just pulled that from somewhere. Wow. Just, it came to him. And it was, it was brilliant. It was really, now I think if you watch very closely, I think you can see I'm struggling yet again. <laughs> surprise, surprise, struggling not to laugh. But we totally didn't know that, <laughs> that was going to happen. That was a perfect Blue Peter moment with it, like, when the elephant. Yeah, it really was. And it, but at exactly the right point in the interview as well. It couldn't because the interview was already falling apart. I seem mm. to remember at that point. So it couldn't. Had it happened earlier, it would have changed the you know the balance of power in the scene or whatever. Yeah. But as it was, it was ready going wrong. And, it was <laughs> and perfect. It was so. It was one of those things that like you you couldn't write it any better than the way that it actually happened on the on the screen. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, with this country, um, where did you first hear about it, and where did it come on your radar? Um, I heard about it first through um, my son Ollie. Who um, one of the great joys of, of parenting is that when when your kids are younger, you know, you can introduce them to all all the comedy that you love. You know, so I would sit them down and say, "You have to watch." The Lady Killers or some Ealing film that I would watch when I was there. And then when they get older, they start introducing you to, to mm. things. So Ollie came home and said, you've got to watch this country. You're going to love it. And we spend a lot of time in um, West Somerset. We've got uh, very, very close friends living in Somerset. So we spend a lot of time kind of hanging out in villages and village halls and you know, going for walks with our mates. So I feel like, you know, village life, even though I've never lived in a village, something that's very familiar and that was why Ollie just said you're going to really love this um and uh so it went on my list of things to watch but actually I didn't really I don't think I watched it at that stage um and then I found out that Daisy was going to be coming on to Avenue 5 so I then thought oh blimey I probably ought to watch that thing that Ollie (laughs) said I'll I'll like because that would be slightly awkward if I hadn't seen it um so I watched an episode and immediately started watching the second episode because I just loved it. And then, so I watched a few episodes, then I left it for a bit just because I was filming and, you know, I tend to, you know, things build up and up and up and the last thing you want to do really is sit down and watch comedy when you're kind of learning lines for the next day and so on. Mm. So then I started binge watching it quite recently during lockdown. In fact, my daughter wanted something sort of jolly and upbeat. So the two of us sat down and we've just watched it right the way through and I'm now sort of, toying with the idea of starting all over again because I'm loving it so much. So, uh, what, um, if you binged it, did you binge it pretty much the whole three series together? Yeah. Did yeah. You, do you have a favourite series, the one that stood out the most for you? I think I think the last one, actually. It's, in, it's, ter- it's incredibly tender. There are some really tender moments in the, the last series. And I think it's a mark of confidence in comedy that you... Um, if you feel able to be, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, to allow your comedy to be quite moving, that actually speaks volumes about your confidence as a writer and as a performer. Because it's it's sort of it's incredibly hard to make people laugh. Don't get me wrong. I mean that's that's the hardest part of comedy. Mm. But um, once you've established a character's speech rhythms or whatever, it's you can get away quite happily with just letting them do that thing that they do again and again. And it's great. And everybody loves it. And that's perfect. If you allow yourself to go into deeper places with the character and to see them at their most vulnerable and to see them being lovely or to see them being hurt or to see them being horrible, that takes a real confidence. And and in they did that all the way through, actually, to be fair. But in series three, they really went for that. And, and it's wonderful i mean it's incredibly touching that that mm. whole series i think mm. Absolutely. i mean we've we've both said well we, we've talked um neil and i that we thought that paul shahidi i think was the star of of the final series 
And I, d- I don't think there's a, a, a nicer character and a nicer person in real life than Borsini. <laughs> I've never met him. We've now, we've sort of hooked up on Twitter. We're now, we're Twitter buddies, but I've never met him. Um, but he, I'm so glad he's lovely because I love that portrayal. It's absolutely beautiful. And I really loved actually the, um, you know, there's, there's that, that whole thing about Curtin thinking that the vicar's getting above himself and he's starting to take himself a bit too seriously and he's looking for a project. And mm. all of that, again, it's so sort of emotionally sophisticated to do that, not to just have a kind of a vicar who's really nice but a bit ineffectual, but to have someone who's actually starting to get a little bit up themselves <laughs> and trying a bit too hard and manipulating people in a not very Christian way and, and having to pull himself back. All of that, it was just so beautifully done it really is mm. are so, you a fan of the mockumentary style rebecca yourself yeah i think it's um i think it kind of you know that it's it it's used a lot and there's you have to justify using it do you know what i mean because it it's because of the office i suppose and the massive success of the office it became a thing that you know people did a lot um and I think that's partly because you can semi-improvise everything and that gives you, uh, as an actor, that gives you a little bit more control. It's actually slightly more fun to do things that are in that style. So obviously, you know, the thick of it is slightly documentary, although we never acknowledge that there's a documentary crew there or anything like that. The style of it is very much like that. Um, but I think it's such a particular style that you kind of, it, it has to be earned. It, you have to know why you're doing that just as if you're doing a show in front of an audience that has to be there's got to be a reason why you're going to do that um but i can't think of a better use of it really certainly in in current times than than this country it works so well Mm. and those little captions that come up which actually tell you which actually are quite informative and do tell you something about rural life it it feels i keep using this word earned but it all feels earned it all feels like that bit wouldn't work without that bit. And, you you know, all the all the pieces of the Jenga puzzle come together really beautifully in that show. Mm. You mentioned uh, just a second ago that when you knew that Daisy was coming on to Avenue 5 that you thought, oh, I'd better just watch this country. Is that something that happens when you go onto another project? You'll see who's on and think, i better just look and see what their latest thing is that they've just been working on. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, you can't always, obviously, if it's a huge cast and you can't sort of watch everything that everybody's done. Um, but equally, um, it's quite hard just in the general scheme of things to be really up to speed with what's going on in comedy or drama or anything. So, yeah, that does tend that will, I think lots of people do that. I think it's a sort of basic courtesy, actually, that if you know you're going to be working with someone and they're really well known for one thing. At that, and at that stage, that was the thing that obviously everybody was saying, oh, you know, Daisy from this country. And I was thinking, well, I kind of do but I don't really know the shows so I just thought well it's slightly rude not to not to even watch an episode and particularly because my son had already said that he thought I'd love it um and then it's then it's a real pleasure to be able to Mm. as I did to go up to Daisy on the first day that she was in and just go I really love your show I think it's fantastic but so much and I was on I was honest I said I've only watched a couple of episodes I wouldn't lie about it um but i think uh yeah it is if you can do it if you can find the time to do it why wouldn't you mm. Mm. and so and of course ha- charlie, i was gonna say charlie and daisy wrote an episode of avenue five didn't they yes indeed that's right i didn't get to meet charlie at all actually which is a shame because i'm not involved in the writing of avenue five in any way so I've, I've still yet to meet him um but yes so they did they did indeed write an episode and um and then Daisy was in again. I didn't really have that many scenes with her, but she is in the the infamous airlock sequence, <laughs> um, and was just hilarious, just absolutely brilliant, and also lovely. I really liked her. That was a real shock. I remember seeing that 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 moment, and the moment when you know everything switches off and they just freeze. I thought, oh my god! This I must admit because yeah. that was one of the one of the, I, I really enjoyed Avenue Five. I wasn't didn't really know what to expect. Yeah. It's, very, it's very strange. So uh, how was that for you working on that? Because that was a, a big, big production. Massive, yeah. Um, oh, God. I mean, it's sort of a dream come true, that whole job, really. It was so exciting from from start to finish. Like from the first time Armando mentioned it to me, which was, which was a, a long time ago, a long time before it actually happened, because he was up to his eyes in Death of Stalin and all sorts of other stuff. Um and I was, in fact, I was recording an audio book. So my phone was off all morning. And at lunchtime, I remember I put my phone on and 
and this little message popped up with Armando's name, which of course always piques the interest. I, I can imagine. <laughs> um, this is Armando text, and it, it just said something like, uh, "I'm recording a series in space." Dot 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 in the UK. Would you like to come and play? And I just thought, "Oh my <laughs> god, this just sounds brilliant!" Because everything about that little message just made me thrilled. Um, and it just was. It's it was one of the most enjoyable shoots I've ever done. There's, there's not a duff person in that mm. enormous cast and crew. I mean, it's huge. I don't think I've ever worked on anything so vast. And you fully expect when you do something, you know, that's that monumental, that there's going to be an asshole there somewhere. Mm. Someone's going to be misbehaving or, you know, it's, it's a fair bet if you've got a vast... That, nobody. It was, it was nobody. Everybody was lovely and, and really on it and really upbeat and happy and just excited to be there and it was so much fun it really was was there much room for improvisation on that set yeah a fair amount um armando does you know his his sort of regular rhythm is um that <clears throat> what he's now kind of settled into um is that they write the script they write a kind of what they call a rough draft of the script it's usually already very very good but it's a kind of rough draft um, and you read through that and then you, you improvise around that script. So you put the script down, you just don't look at it for a bit. You just improvise those scenes with Armando and the writers taking notes. Then they rewrite and they rewrite and they rewrite. And then what happens on the, on the day is that you shoot each of those scenes three or four, you know, different ways. And then if there's time and if it's a big significant scene, then you're allowed to, as Armando puts it, play. So he'll always kind of go, okay, I think we've got a bit of time to just, let's just play around with it a bit. So yeah, there's, there's actually lots of room. So there are um, some scenes, like there's a, there's a big scene I had with Hugh Laurie in his cabin where he reveals a whole lot of stuff to me that I didn't know, um, which is sort of quite a big plot point in that episode. And that was quite substantially improvised because um, all of the lines that, that you see on screen are lines that were eventually written by the writers, but aspects of it for various reasons had to be improvised. So, so there's a lot of improv in it. And then Armando would sort of come running in and just go, okay, do, I need you to say this now. So you'd sort of feed that line in or a couple of lines and improvise a bit more and then say that line. And so that's, so that's his process really that you're, you're mucking around and playing and then you make sure you get relevant lines in and as Chris Addison always used to say about thick of it the amount of stuff that's properly improvised that ends up on screen is actually very minimal right because the stuff that the writers are writing is so good you don't really want to hear me waffling on um when you could have a you know beautiful Simon Blackwell line or an Ian Martin or a Will Smith or you know Sean Gray or something you you really want that so it the improv gives you the freedom to make it look very natural and to do the ums and the ahs and the, the little double takes and, you know, frustrated gestures and those things. If you weren't improvising, you probably wouldn't do that. You, mm. The tendency when you're not improvising is to, is to, in your mind, I think, is to slightly set a way of delivering a line. Mm. And even if you don't mean to do that, that becomes the way you do it. Whereas if you're improvising, you don't do that with any of the lines. So, you, so then everything sounds very fresh. Mm. Mm. So you do... Um an American accent on Avenue five and you've done obviously yeah. quite a few different accents for, um, on the hour and stuff. Do you have a, a way of getting into an accent or is it quite, does it come quite naturally for you? With, with Avenue five, it was quite easy just cause I was surrounded by Americans. Actually, I didn't really need to worry. I mean, I decided very early on how she was going to talk and who, you know, I had various people that she, her look was based on and so on. So I, I fixed in my head how she was going to talk. Um, but then I didn't need to worry about it because I was surrounded by Americans and Andy plays my husband as American. So I almost all my scenes were with with Americans. Um, yeah, sometimes you do. Sometimes if an accent, I think you tend to have a little hook or a couple of phrases you use if you're slightly struggling with an accent. Um, and so I played a, a Scottish character in a film recently and I I haven't seen the film yet and I'm slightly nervous about it. <laughs> so I, don't think I did it enormous credit. Um, and that was one where I did have to have a, a few little phrases that in my head that I would just say off camera before I went in. Because I just, it was just a very specific accent. It's not just any Scottish. It was a particular, set in Aberdeen and it was a very specific thing. And I was just thinking, oh, I don't, don't know if I've quite got this. So that's when you would, when you would use it, I think. 
How would your West Country be, Rebecca? Well, I'm not going to do it for you now. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh. I think it would be okay. I've done it actually for <clears throat> certainly for some sketch characters. Um, I think it might be a little bit generic if I'm honest. So if I was going to play a West, if I was going to play a character from Siren Tester, I would I would want to really properly do it. I'd get someone, I'd get one of you guys to record something <laughs> for me and do it, do it properly. Um, because I, most most actors will do a, a sort of generic, you know, oh, you know, he can do that sort of thing. But it's not like what is it? Where's it? Where's it supposed to be from? Is it Cornwall? Is it Bristol? Is it Gloucester? You know, it could be anywhere. And all of those places. That's one of the great joys of, of playing English British characters. Those accents are so specific that mm. you know, a character from somebody from Oxfordshire does not sound like they've come from Cornwall. So I'd want to do it really properly mm. if I was going to do it. Okay, next time, practice on it, and then uh, and then we'll have, next time yeah. we have you. <laughs> I'll, I'll work on it. <laughs> okay, before obviously we want to talk to you about the thick of it. Uh, before we do that, we're going to have a little bit of a quiz. Okay. So I'm going to give you a line of dialogue, and you have to tell me if it was Kerry or Curtin that said it. And seeing as you've you've watched them not very long ago, you you should be able to get five out of five on these. Oh, don't! I'm now going to start eating with myself. <laughs> Here we go. Number one. I'm not proud of that. But I had to, I had to throw the scent off. Oh, uh, yes, that is uh, Kerry. It's the bed, it's the bed episode. It is the letter from Slug's Bedgate. That was that one. One out of one. Well done. One of my favourite episodes. I love that episode. Uh, Number two. Uh, That's in good nick, that one as well. Happy with that. Well, I'm guessing that that sounds like Kerry as well. Is that from the dump? Is that your answer? Yeah, Kerry. Is not right. No, it was actually a curtain. Oh, no, it's curtain. It's the foot spa. The foot spa. It was the it's, foot spa. Uh, so that's I one. I recognise it, but yeah, wrong bit. One out of two. So number three. Oh, look how sweet them sheep are. <laughs> I don't remember that one. Um, I'm guessing it's Kerry. It is Kerry. That's the Steam Fair episode when they're walking through the field of sheep. So that's two out of three. Trying, can you just answer a question for me? I know I'm, I'm breaking up the system of the quiz. No, here, that's fine. Because I was trying to remember. In that's the episode where they go through the forest and they talk about the little, the, the weird men who live in the woods, isn't it? Is uh, that on yes, the fox twins. Yes, the fox twins. Fox twins. A little red riding twat was in it. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. You may resume your quiz. Two out of three so far. So, uh, number four. The thing with Nugget, you can be having a laugh with him and we'll be laughing, laughing, laughing. Um, Remember the episode? I think maybe Curtain. Well done. Three out of four. That was Oven Space, yes. And the final one. I've made an effort by coming here tonight. I didn't want to come. Oh, gosh. I don't know, actually. I'm going to go with Curtain. Well done. Four out of five. Well well done, Rebecca. That was random acts of kindness. That was the grease night when he had an argument with his girlfriend. Oh, yes, yes. Well done. Four out of five. That's very good. Very impressed. Rebecca, characters. Who would be your favourite character in this country, then? Um, Possibly the vicar. Um, The vicar's the one I most kind of empathise with. Because the, uh, I think it, that when I was watching it with my daughter, <clears throat> you know, there's there's a bit where he talks about how he's trying to please everybody all the time. He just wants everybody to, you know, and she, she has a go. It's when the, he's supposed to be taking them off for a driving lesson, isn't he? And mm. He keeps having to go back because he's worried about so-and-so and he's worried about Len and he's worried about... Um, and, and Kerry has a little go at him and says, you know, you just you can't make everybody happy all the time. You just want everybody to love you. And and my, <laughs> I suddenly became aware of my daughter just looking at me like. <laughs> <laughs> I think I am basically the Reverend Francis Seaton. Um, I don't know. Kerry and Curtin are just so such rounded characters. Mm. And actually, Big Mandy. <laughs> I've got to give a shout out to Big Mandy as well, who is just brilliant. What a brilliant performance that is. So terrifying. Just with a look as well, when she's, when she's just hanging through the, the, the car door and just looking at Kerry yeah. and, and the driving lesson episode. It's just frightening. Yeah. 
absolutely. And she's so febrile, you just don't know which way she's going to no. land. Yeah. <laughs> uh, dear. Um, yes, I just wanted to say the thick of it. Um, you, more than anybody else, probably knows what it's like to stare down the barrel of Malcolm Tucker. <laughs> What what is it like to 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 get it full blast? Bracing is the word I would use. Um, I weirdly used to find it really exhilarating. Actually, it's a it's a very odd thing, but I used to look forward to those scenes because I because it it really does fill you with adrenaline. And it was a bit like doing a workout. You know, you kind of come away from it thinking, "Oh, I feel good." Kind <laughs> <laughs> of terrifying, but oh, I have feel good. I think the, the scariest one for me, sorry, Steve, <coughs> it's nothing contagious. Okay. <laughs> Especially for free. Uh, I don't think. Um, the Yeah, I think the scariest uh, tuckering for me was the one that happens in, there's an episode outside the Guardian offices. Um, and I get back in the car and Malcolm's sitting there with his seatbelt on and I say, look, I've just said this thing which I wasn't really meant to say. And Joe Scanlon and... and Peter and I were all sitting in this sort of people carrier and he he turns to me and he starts yelling and then he realizes that he's the only person who can sort this out so he tries to get out of the car and his seatbelt locked as he was doing it and I just remember sitting in this and the whole car is moving and Peter's just going bang bang with this (laughs) seatbelt trying to loosen it and Joe Scanlon and I sort of feeling alternately terrified and also trying not to laugh so yeah it's it's a bracing experience Mm. <laughs> and a novel way of swearing as well. Indeed. Oh, very. Because <laughs> you you came into the thick of it sort of quite late, didn't you? You were series two. Mm. Was it series two or series three? Yeah, the series, the series is slightly sort of broken up because they did those specials. Yeah, so I that's think right. technically it's I think technically it's kind of series four, isn't it? But I don't know. Anyway, it was yeah, it was after those two specials. Right. So did it did it feel a bit like like New Kid at School because everybody else was all there and they've got a rhythm and and they drop you in it a bit like Nicola Murray sort of was dropped in it. Yeah, from nowhere. Um, it 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 was actually much easier than I thought it was going to be because they were all really welcoming and really made a huge effort to just kind of just draw me in so that I was immediately up to speed. Um, but I I remember going off my fir- on my first day um, and my husband sort of saying goodbye at the front door and, and calling after me. By the way, it's my favourite show, so don't fuck it up. <laughs> so, so in that sense, yes, it was a bit like my first day at school. Um, but, uh, but no, once I was there, I mean, um, James Smith, you know, who played Glenn, um, was incre- was always very very welcoming with new people who came in. Slightly sort of put me to shame because I would I would always you know make a point of going oh hi lovely to meet you and then I'd just go off and do my own thing. <laughs> James really properly takes people under his wing. So James walked me around the whole set and explained how stuff was going to work and introduced me to you know all the crew and the runners and just made sure that I felt really at ease, which was very sweet actually. Um, so yeah, I did. I, I felt settled in very quickly. Mm. The whole bit with the cenotaph where you forgot how to walk was one of the bits <laughs> that absolutely just cracks me up every time I watch it. I really empathise with that though, because I think I, I am one of those people who gets so I overthink things to such a degree that I then suddenly think I actually don't know how to do the very basic thing here, like like button my coat up. I actually <laughs> I've thought so hard about what I'm going to say when I get in front of that microphone. I haven't quite thought through how I'm going to walk yes. to the microphone. So I, I mean, there was there's a there is a lot of Nicola Murray that is basically me. Mm. Fortunately, not all of it. You know, she's I think she's a bit more um, venal and self-serving. I hope than I am. <laughs> But there are there are large elements of Nicola that that are me, and I think the cenotaph would absolutely be what I'd be like. <laughs> Is it something you watch back yourself, Rebecca? Um, I have done with that one. I mean, I, I don't, you know, I wouldn't kind of routinely sit the family down and say, "Tonight, darlings, we're going to watch Battle of Bummy's Although in lockdown, not a bad idea. No. Um, but uh, I have watched that back fairly recently. Partly, I'm trying to find an excuse now, um, <laughs> partly because both my kids have... Uh, my daughter came to it fairly recently, again, because she was very young when I was making it um, and did, I'm embarrassed to say, watch it, even in spite of all the swearing, but she didn't really understand it. But she's now studying politics, so she 
actually came to it much later and, and thought, well, I, you know, let's watch that. So I watched watched it again with her. Um, and sometimes you re-watch bits as well for show reels. You have to kind of sort of go, I've just been doing that with Avenue 5, kind of re-watching mm. things just so that you can find a little bit to take out and put on a show reel. And it's, it's quite a weird experience doing that because you're suddenly watching it much more objectively. The first time you watch it, all you're doing is thinking, oh, why did I look like that? Why did I do that thing? And then if you come back to it a few months or a year or so later, you can then just watch it much more as a performance. Yeah. And can you enjoy it, though? Yeah, I I think it's probably fair to say you enjoy the scenes you're not in more than the scenes that you are in, um, because, you know, you can just relax a bit more. Uh, but, yeah, I can't. I mean, certainly, Avenue 5, I've, I've really been enjoying re-watching it. As I say, I'm watching it for, for work purposes, but I am, it's, it's properly making me laugh. And I think it is that thing of that when I first watched it, I mean, it was only, what, a month or so ago that I watched it for the first time. And I just, it's quite hard to enjoy it when the first time you're watching it, because you're just, <laughs> you know. So now, so it's, it is, I am really enjoying it now. Now, the big burning uh, this country question that we've asked our last few guests um, is Curtin's Nan. Have you, yes. got, have you got any opinions on who you think? Now, apparently it's a, apparently an A-lister that plays Curtin's Nan. And really? we, we, we've got our opinions on who we think it is. We just wondered whether you might have any ideas on who you think it is. It's not you, no. is it, for a start? I mean, it's not it's you, just... right. <laughs> no, because it's a A-lister we've established. <laughs> um... You are an no, A-lister, No, I Rebecca. really, I really haven't. I now feel I want to have a listen. But we, <laughs> when we watched, um, you know, the one where, where Kerry moves into, goes to stay at his house, and she's not meant to be there. Um, and we were just, my daughter and I were just obsessing with the word, the verb natter. <laughs> right. Just very much because I do remember both my grandmothers talking about natter. Oh, it'd be nice to sit and have a natter. Mm. Nobody really says that anymore. So it's a very nan kind of verb. No, I don't know who. No, well, have we, they not said who it is? No, it? they will not say it. We've even spoken to the producer, and we could, we couldn't um, pin him down. But we think it's Tilda Swinton. Oh, really? And it, and it seems that as soon as you see that and you think that, I can't see anybody else but Tilda Swinton. I can go back and rewatch it. Well, that would kind of make sense, of course, because was that filmed after Daisy did uh, Great Expectations? Uh, David back, Copperfield, yeah. No, yeah. David Copperfield, yeah. sorry, I was Yeah, there. I believe so. But nobody will officially say, but we've um, I've looked at it and I've squinted so that the pixelation doesn't quite look so bad and I'm sure I'm I'm <laughs> I'm sticking with with Tilda Swinton I think. I think okay. I'll yeah. go back and have a have a watch and a listen. Yeah. So um what have you got coming up then Rebecca? Is there anything any projects that you can tell us about or any secret ones that um, you can Well, tell us eventually uh, another avenue 5 which mm-hmm. would be lovely when that was meant to start in July and obviously is unlikely I think now to start in July. Um but hopefully, you know, not too distant future. Um, I've done a series uh, called The Other One, which is which is all made and finished, written by Holly Walsh, a comedian, uh, and Pippa Brown. And it's uh, a story about um, basically in the in the pilot episode, my husband dies, and we then find out he had another family. Um, and so Siobhan Finneran plays the other one, the other wife. And then I, we've got uh, Ellie White is my daughter and Lauren Socher is the other daughter. And it's lovely. It's just a really lovely, gentle, sort of female-led um, comedy drama. Really sweet. Ellie is brilliant in it. Everybody's really, really great in it. So that's coming up quite soon, I think in June for the BBC, something like that. All right, OK. Lovely. Well, that'd be very good. Um I just want to say thank you so much, Rebecca. It's been honestly, it's been a real pleasure to speak to you. And the fact that Enjoy. to hear you say hello, I want that as my ringtone now. <laughs> I would love that. I have to say that is not now the the standard greeting in our house is now Kerry, what? <laughs> Kerry, what? <laughs> <laughs> so hello is is old school. <laughs> it is old school. It is old school, but it's still a classic. That's the, that's as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> um, Rebecca, thanks so much for spending some time with us. Um, Please stay safe. Um, we hope that, uh, you know, everything works out OK and we can all start going out very, very soon. But uh, please stay safe. And uh, thank you very much for spending some time with us. Thank you yeah, very thank much. You, Lovely to meet you. Virtually meet you. Virtually. Yes, oh, thank right. you. Bye-bye. Thank Neil, you. do you want to just uh, say a few little things? Bye. Bye.
Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can find us on all the social media platforms. You can find us on Facebook. Are we on Snapchat, Pav? I don't know. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but anyway, under WTAF This Country, we will be there. We're ready to answer any of your posts or questions. You can email us at WTAFThisCountry at Hotmail.com or you can go to our website, which is WTAFPodcast.com. Wonderful. And you can also come and be a Patreon bozo, uh, which many people have done, um, from as little as $1 a month. Shut up, Neil. I'm talking. (laughs) From as little as $1 a month up to $5 a month. Uh, For $5, you get this really cool limited edition WTAF enamel pin. Uh, Just go to patreon.com forward slash WTAF and uh, come and sign up and come and you just... Me and Neil, we both have, or Neil and I, I should say, is the, the correct vernacular. Is that right, Neil? No, we've lost the show. It'll okay, me and Neil. Me and Neil. Uh, we had a nice, I sounded like a Cockney when I went that. Me and Neil. <laughs> uh, Neil and I, we both have ample bosoms. And if you want to uh, stuff your dollar bills down our ample bosoms, by all means do. We are waiting for your money. <laughs> What a great way to finish what has been a very classy episode. Um, oh, that was fantastic. Thank you very much again to Rebecca. Uh, she's now gone, but uh, thank you very much to her. Again, just a lovely, lovely person to chat to. Wonderful. And Absolutely then, fantastic. And then there was Neil as well. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> That's all right. So thank you very much, Rebecca. Thank you very much, Neil. Thank you. Thank you very much, everybody else, for listening. And go and get plumbed, you fuckers. Scarecrow Festival is like the most important day of the year. Daft cow. This is just ridiculous. What the actual fuck? Hi, I'm Pav. I'm Neil. We're here to tell you about our new exciting project, the Top 10 of Anything podcast. Phenomenal. That's right, Neil. We grab a guest or two, pick a subject, then bring our own Top 10s to the pod. Yes. It could be Top 10 scary movies, Top 10 swear words, Top 10 breakfast foods, anything. Oh, you saucy devil. Indeed, Neil. Our first episode will be online very soon, so subscribe on all your usual podcast platforms so you don't miss it. Yes. The Top 10 of Anything podcast. Let's begin the countdown. Phenomenal.